0: and we're live Uh, this is the first episode of swift unwrapped my name's jp and i'm jesse squires yeah and uh we decided to get together and basically talk about swift um so that's how we came up with this podcast there are tons of podcasts out there on general apple development ios development but nothing specifically about the language itself right
1: yeah exactly and uh, we kind of view this as uh, a commentary on the swift weekly brief which is uh, the newsletter that uh, i've been curating for uh, the past year Uh, jp has been a guest writer uh on the weekly as well, writing a couple of issues. So this is uh, very much a continuation of of what you see on Swift Weekly and you know, maybe more details and uh, our thoughts on what's happening in Swift.
0: Right, yeah, exactly. And this way it's in audio format, so you know, you're not going to drive dangerously if you're trying to catch up with Swift Weekly while you're driving your commute in in the morning. Uh, this should be a little safer. Um, but yeah, that's basically the gist of, of why it is that we're, we're doing this. Yeah. So actually on that note, you know, Jesse's been running uh Swift weekly brief for the last 12 months. And, uh, coincidentally that actually lines up, uh, with exactly when Swift was open source. So that's been, uh, basically a year to the day at this point. Um, so there's actually a lot to talk about, about that. If we were kind of going to set the tone for the, for the rest of the episodes in the podcast to, uh, to talk about that a little bit more.
1: You know, it's hard to believe that it's been a year already. Um, I kind of look at it like from both angles. It's like, wow, it's already been a year, and then also, oh, it's only been one year. Yeah. Because sometimes it actually feels like it's been much longer. Like Swift open source very much feels like the norm to me now. So it's kind of hard to imagine back in uh, what dub dub twenty fourteen. When it was announced and it was actually closed source, like, I've kind of forgotten that time and that, you know, what that was like.
0: Yeah, it's surprising because right from day one, you know, Apple was uh, more open with Swift than any of their other more recent projects that really come to mind. Even with Swift being closed source, you had lots of communication, lots lots of discussion. You could basically ask uh, a core Swift member basically anything and... I never got the impression that they were kind of trying to dodge the question or um, trying to avoid saying certain things, um, and so in that sense, Swift has, uh, since its uh, announcement, really at WW twenty fourteen, been fairly open. And so it's I, I really just see the open sourcing of uh, of the actual language itself twelve months ago as mostly being a continuation of that. Uh, uh, but really just still along the same spectrum.
1: Yeah, definitely. Like even in the beginning there, I remember um, the core team being very accessible on Twitter and it's kind of like, you know, more and more core team members started popping up on Twitter and becoming more and more active. Um, And now that also feels like a very regular part of, you know, like my development work when there's an issue or Even when I'm like preparing the weekly brief, like I'll ask Doug Greger or someone else on Twitter, hey, what's the status of this proposal? Because I know like this work was done or it was accepted here, but this certain thing here hasn't been updated yet to reflect that. And usually I'll get a response within, you know, a few minutes. Right.
0: It's actually kind of unbelievable the extent to which um, the Swift core team members have made themselves available and really gone way above and beyond in terms of reaching out with the community interacting with the community and um it's it's on the one side really really nice to see and it's it's a great resource to have at our disposal uh as as people who work in the industry and who work with language on the other i mean i really can't uh imagine putting myself in that position where it's you're basically setting this expectation that um you know it's perfectly normal if you have a question if you have a bug to basically take it to twitter and right. you've got these extremely generous uh people on the core team who uh i'm sure at some point you know must be burnt out by constantly being like super available like that i don't know sure. if if you've uh, seen the same thing
1: yeah uh i i mean i've i was going to say i've seen lots of uh very creative responses uh, because, you know, when you're limited to 140 characters um, and Joe Groff has to explain, you know, some concept to you that, that takes way more than that. Um, But um, yeah, he's, he's helped me out a lot uh, with, you know, these, these brief tweets that actually make sense. And
0: yeah. 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 It's really impressive. But yeah, so that that being said, you know, open sourcing Swift a year ago, it's uh, it's kind of a continuation of the direction that the language was going in. Um, and so now over the last 12 months, we've really kind of seen uh, how that takes shape and um, how the language, the community, the process, all that evolves uh, as you start to open things up way, way more. Um, so, you know, from from your point of view, um, keeping track of the community and the developments. What kind of things you did you notice evolved or changed uh, in the last 12 months that maybe wouldn't really have been possible before Swift open sourcing, or maybe you've seen um, you know, the the community uh, taking on a role that um is uh you know you wouldn't necessarily have guessed before Swift was open source.
1: Yeah, I really the thing that surprised me the most is uh just how involved the community got in the first place and how many community-driven proposals there were to change the language. And really, I think the majority of those, especially from community members, was really about refining the syntax of Swift and um, addressing all of these kind of weird edge cases and like other inconsistencies, right? Inconsistencies Mm -hmm. and the syntax and, um, how you express things in Swift. And, um, also, you know, maybe reducing some of, uh, some of the visual clutter of Swift in some cases, like moving the where clause and, um, I can't remember the proposal number for that, but, um, that's definitely one thing I didn't expect, which is, Changing the Swift syntax so much. Right. And that having Swift 3 being this massive source incompatible breaking change mm-hmm. uh, is not what I would have anticipated a year ago. Right.
0: No, and uh, I definitely agree that it um, took me by surprise as well to see that uh, that's where people gravita- gravitated towards, not necessarily enabling new use cases and, and, scenarios or code constructs uh, that weren't possible before, but really kind of doing that cosmetic level uh, shuffling things around. And, um, you know, I don't use the word cosmetic lightly. Uh, you know, I think those sure. a lot of those changes were, were for the better. Um, but it's kind of interesting to see the community kind of latching on uh, in, in a very real sense to what it can see. Right. you know it's not like you had tons of proposals that were um proposing a drastic simplification of the inner workings of the swift compiler right because right. because right. people aren't necessarily exposed to that and that's that's very normal but um i can't help but think that if uh swift hadn't been open source or even if it had but that the development was being driven kind of behind closed doors that um things would be very different right
1: for sure. Yeah, I think it really takes that outside perspective to to notice those inconsistencies. I mean, I think the glaring one is, you know, removing C style for loops. Um, or no, it was what came first? Removing the plus, plus and minus minus operators, right?
0: Yeah, those were around the same time. I, I can't remember which one happened first.
1: I think the I think the proposal from the core team from Chris Latner was removing the plus plus and minus minus operators.
0: Right. Yeah. And then naturally out of that came removing the C style uh, iterators. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Which was, uh, yeah, the C plus plus for loops proposal was the first community proposal from Erica Sadoon. I believe so. Yeah. Yeah. Really uh, and, testing our memory here. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, So with that proposal, Erica's proposal removing those for loops, um, the the C the C style for loops, I feel like that's something that's a good example of when you need that outsider's perspective to find that inconsistency. Because I don't think it would have been, um, you know, readily. or or as obvious to the core team necessarily, you know, they're building this day in and day out. The reason for removing plus plus and minus minus operators was um, it, some some baggage and like weird stuff around how those actually work and whether you put it before or after the integer um, because then it has a different... Um, uh, behavior and return behavior, value. Behavior, right? Yeah, and, and so it was like, the i remember the proposal is was basically saying uh there's too much magic around these and we really just carried it over from c and beginners would look at this and think it's odd so you can achieve the same thing with one more character using plus equals and you know we'll leave it at that um but anyway i think uh that was it was a controversial proposal i guess at the time but i think it made a lot of sense and I think it took this kind of outside, uh, uh, I don't know, scrutiny to to reveal that as well as all these other things.
0: Right, right. Well, in, in a sense, um, you know, you have all these people working on Swift as a core team at Apple who um, are this th- – they need to wear many hats uh, by necessity of their work, right? They're not – only compiler engineers. They're also language designers. That's true. And um, with all that considered, you throw also into the mix the fact that um, to do all parts of their jobs right, they typically end up writing a lot more C++ or Python than they do Swift. And I I think that's of no fault of the the people on that team. I think that's what kind of needs to happen. But um, you get into this scenario where the tool makers don't use their own tools as much, say, as people in the community. And that's where this ideal of having um, community feedback and scrutiny, like you say, uh, to kind of go hand in hand with the people who are knowledgeable about the internals who know how to make it happen, right? So you kind of have the, the the tool makers talking to the tool users and in this ideal situation, you kind of have this synergy going where right. um you've got very qualified, very capable people building the tools, but then getting a constant feedback loop of the people who are actually using it uh, in a way that would be kind of impossible if you tried to put all of those roles onto a single given person or single given team. Um, so yeah, I'd say that's by far kind of the best thing to come out of this more open Swift is sure. to see this uh, synergy really playing well together.
1: Yeah, definitely. I think that's a good point that most of these uh, people on the core team are not app developers. They are compiler engineers or language designers or whatever you, whatever title you want to use. They're, they're building, their they're in this environment of you know building developer tools and in languages and compilers, not applications. And so having that uh, feedback from those of us who do write iOS apps or TVOS apps or whatever um, on what we need, yeah.
0: yeah, yeah, it's it's really nice to see. Um, and and you know the the other side to that double edged sword is that uh, sure you get lots of feedback from the community, but you also get lots of feedback from the community, right? right. <laughs> where right. Um, if, again, going back to kind of the pre-open Swift days, if you will, um, you could really kind of iterate at a very different pace where, um, you know, what mattered to the core team Is not exactly what matters to users of the language. And it's both a good thing and a bad thing. I think overall, uh, it's much better to loop in the feedback of users, but almost certainly, um, some of the proposals, uh, if not most of the proposals that we saw over the summer of 2016, Mm -hmm. um, probably wouldn't have happened if it was only being driven by the, uh, by the core team. And that being said, maybe we'd actually, we actually would see uh, more kind of feature type enhancements rather than right. cosmetic syntactical level uh, functionality.
1: Right. Well, you see that very clearly in the timeline of, of all this playing out, where, uh, you know, halfway through the Swift 3 cycle, Chris Lattner sends an email and says, oh, here's our new priorities. Um, we had this list of goals for Swift 3, and now they are pretty much completely different except for a couple of different things. And so I think it really caught them off guard, like how many proposals people were writing. Um, and I think it, it in some of the emails uh, on the mailing lists in the proposal reviews, it almost seemed like some of these ideas for the syntax refinements almost caught the core team members off guard as well, as an oh, I didn't realize that. You know, I've been working on this thing behind closed doors for a couple of years, and now this person from the community looks at it and sees this, like, really strange thing, um, this really strange uh, syntactical inconsistency. And uh, I think that's also a reason why they're very... um, uh, Enthusiastic about, you know, making those changes and refinements. Yeah.
0: They really leaned into it. You know, I agree that sure. uh, they were probably surprised, if not surprised, um, mentally, uh, like in, <laughs> yeah. you know, like where, uh, logically they probably knew that the community would get super excited or start, uh, to propose a billion things, <laughs> right. but that when it actually happened, it right. really hit them. But, uh, what I love is that they seem to have entirely leaned into it. You know, it's not like they uh, backed out and they said, oh, no, no, no. Like, uh, we we don't have time for this or this isn't what we think is a priority. Not at all. Right. And that is uh, an insanely powerful response. Seeing that from from the Swift Core team, just like leaning fully into it and saying, yeah, we'll give you tons of feedback on all your proposals. Um, and we'll kind of treat everything very equally. Right. uh you know, whenever they had proposals that um, were, for lack of a better word, half baked, yeah. they didn't just straight up reject it. They actually worked with people to try to improve it and say, "Well, these are some of the considerations that uh, you should really incorporate into the discussion of the proposal. Uh, right. Make sure that you're covering this point. You may have forgotten about this edge case and and all of that." And that, you know, really warms my heart.
1: Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's nice, you know, someone without experience and compilers can recognize uh, a piece of syntax that they don't like or that they want to add or that they want to improve in some way. And maybe they don't realize like, oh, you've just changed the entire grammar by moving these things around or adding this thing here. And so uh, that's, you know, it's not just a cosmetic change at that point. And you know, uh, someone from the core team will step in and say, well, here's what needs to happen to make this work if this is what we want. Right.
0: So, yeah. It's, it kind of reminds me of, um of, you know, that age old trope of a um, uh, project manager asking for flying car or, uh, or a hoverboard. And then, you know, it's kind of hard to uh, propose features without some understanding of uh, the the implementation or the existing um, like underlying way that things work, um, and so I'm very impressed really to see that you uh, have people who, you know, the vast majority of, of uh, outside contributors who proposed um, Swift evolution changes weren't intimately familiar with the inner workings of the parser, say, or or, right. or the compiler for that matter, but yet. Um, with a bit of back and forth with some of the core team members, they were able to kind of find this sweet spot of like possible to implement within, uh, human, <laughs> human, right. human like work years, right? Right. And, uh, still achieve the goal that, uh, outside contributors actually wanted in the first place. And, uh, the only way to really do that is in some sense, well, is, is actually to fully lean in to this concept of we're doing community driven development, uh, and we're putting all of our weight behind it at the expense of doing things like stabilizing the ABI. Um, and I think for the most part, the community's been understanding of, uh, basically if, if they, Ask for a certain thing, it means that something else will be deprioritized. Exactly. Um, and so, if for the most part, I think people are understanding of that. But I am looking forward to um, maybe this first phase of outside interests and contributions and proposals kind of coming to an end. If not, an end is actually the wrong way, but a lot of the initial hype has kind of died down and I'd actually say matured to a sense where it's actually a little bit more
1: uh, reasonable. Definitely. I think, especially in the beginning, on the mailing list, you'd see lots of comments or or suggestions just kind of off the wall, out of nowhere um, it, people who have, have seen certain features in other languages that they use and um, they suggest, Oh, let's what about this feature for Swift? And it doesn't always make sense for, you know, Swift in the big picture. And I think now that everyone's kind of understanding what Swift is and, um, you know, what the language is like really trying to achieve. We've seen, yeah, less of that kind of initial activity and more of this um, better or maybe, uh, yeah, proposals that are are a bit more thought out and kind of play into like what it means to be like Swifty and um, these kinds of concepts that have come up over the the past year.
0: Yeah, well, That basically defines, uh, maturing, right? And, and kind of growing up or stabilizing where now there's kind of a body of examples for, uh, proposals, proposals that were accepted. And, um, you've seen deconstructions and post, postmortems of proposals that were accepted and why they were accepted, right? Russ Bishop's, uh, uh, Erica Sedun's postmortems of those really make, um, really make sense. And so now, there's a much clearer picture of uh, what it's like to actually move the language forward, what works in practice. Uh, and so I think we'll see a lot more of that, but even taking a step back and looking at just human nature um, with Swift being open source, obviously that's going to cause a lot of hype. Um, and so you have people from, all spectrums of expertise and all kinds of backgrounds that want to dive in and and kind of mold the language into what they want it to be. And so in a sense it's really good that um right off the bat the swift evolution proposal goals was really well aligned for that kind of thinking. Right. And then over time uh it's also kind of a given that all of that hype and interest will stabilize and and be a bit more mature. And so it's Almost a good thing that um, there was a strong focus on source-breaking changes at first so that, you know, the the cosmetics, the part that almost everyone has an opinion on can be handled, taken care of, done once. And then the, like, hardcore feature development would actually come um, uh, a little later where you might have, uh, you know... Generally, a higher percentage of um, maybe more experienced users or or users contribute community members who are willing to invest the time to research kind of the inner workings or what a feature should look like. Um, so I'm I'm really happy about the way that this all played out.
1: Yeah, as uh, as frustrating as the the Swift three migration was, I think it was for the better, um, and I'm glad that that's behind us now. And um, definitely, what we see now with Swift four phase one is kind of this clamping down on proposals to really get this under the hood work done. Um, so I, I think overall it, it was worth it. Um, and it, it probably would have been nicer if that had been the goal from the start instead of kind of pivoting in the middle of that Swift three release cycle. But, um, I think, uh, you Know what we, we can look back on this year and, and be proud of uh, as a community and you know uh, uh, of what Swift has become. And I think the core team should be proud of that too. Um, the, the massive changes happen,
0: yeah, I, absolutely. Um, I couldn't agree more. And, and talking about that, you know, Swift, Swift 4 phase one coming up, um, what do you think that'll open the door to? Uh, to. And do you think, can you think of any proposals that uh, were kind of shelved for SW- either proposals or goals that were shelved for Swift 3 that uh, we should keep an eye out for um, that are coming up with the Swift 4 phase one?
1: Yeah, I think, uh, well, the biggest ones are ABI stability and uh, completing generics, I think.
0: Right. And completing generics is, is something that we're really seeing a lot of um, groundwork being done right now, right?
1: Yeah. For sure, um, Slava. This week, uh, finished a bunch of refactoring uh, in the ASD to um, uh, to basically get rid of a lot of uh, of debt and uh, kind of pave the way to to get some of these generics features completed. Um, right, and it's
0: it's really kind of interesting now seeing um, proposals really slowing down. Mm-hmm. Uh, the fact that uh, Swift core team members now kind of have the time to to work on things like that things like internal refactorings. Um, and so it's it's nice to see that uh, you know there is a bit of breathing room to not just constantly be cranking out features that, you know, might uh, have a nice keyword that you can put on a slide for WWDC, you know, but rather actually right. do really core work that um, really improves the foundation for things moving forward. And that's always a, a tough thing to, uh, to to carve out time for for any engineering project is doing that kind of low level, uh, more long-term payoff kind of work. And I'm just really happy to see that it, it is being prioritized.
1: Yeah, for sure. As well as um, there's been lots of, uh, changes to improve performance um, and improve like the, the tooling environment, which is, um, definitely way better than a year ago, um, definitely way better than two years ago when Swift was right. first announced. Um, but I think there's still a long way to go with a lot of that work. Um, uh, but yeah, there there have been lots of improvements um, to compile times and the type checker. Um, I rarely see SourceKit terminated crashes now, thankfully. Right. Um, but having said that, if, you, if you've seen any of these presentations from uh, Uber or Lyft or LinkedIn or any of these bigger companies that uh, have switched to 100% Swift, you can see there are certainly lots of uh, pain points there uh, with large Swift projects.
0: Right. Um and that's it, it, seeing Apple's strategy with regards to tooling is extremely fascinating to me. Um where you can tell that uh they 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 certainly care about it. Um you know one thing to so so for our listeners um to get a bit of a sense of what the current landscape of kind of Swift tooling is. Uh you really have parts of the tooling that live all sorts of places, right? You have um the uh, Swift compiler itself, which is sure all open source, but then you also have its interaction with Xcode. And a lot of that is closed source. Um, but on the other hand, a lot of it is actually open via this source kit, um, component of, of the Swift compiler. It's not really in the Swift compiler, but it's, it's in that source code repository. And that's basically in, it's uh, basically a framework or a library that lives on top of the compiler that exposes some of the um, some of the functionality from the compiler for for the specific reason of building IDE type features. So this includes like. Uh, syntax highlighting or uh, language parsing. Um, so that's the, the kind of underlying functionality that powers things like code folding in Xcode, right? Where you have the little mm-hmm. arrow and you can fold in and out of a function or a class or something like that. Right. Um, same
1: basic th- syntax highlighting, of course.
0: Absolutely. Syntax highlighting, um, but also like symbol uh, resolution resolving mm-hmm. so that when you're you know, option clicking or command clicking in Xcode, a uh, specific Token or declaration, you can go to its definition, you can uh, read its stocks and things like that. And so, um, you know, one thing that I'm sure Jesse's noticed is that um, it can sometimes feel like we're powerless uh, and really blocked on Apple. To improve its its tooling, and you know the number of times in a week where I see like, oh, if only this was open source, like I'd fix it in a heartbeat. Right. Um, it's it's that's the right attitude, um, but I think it's important for people to know that uh, hey, they can. Um, that a lot of this stuff is actually open source, and that um, uh, and that you know everyone actually does have the ability to kind of go in and improve the situation. Um, but overall. I think generally there is certainly a a problem. I think it's organizational, actually, where Mm -hmm. um, going back to that previous comment of the Swift core team being mostly tool makers and not as much tool users, they probably don't feel some of the pain of of things like uh, inconsistent or difficult to reproduce crashes or performance uh, issues with things like SourceKit that show up as performance issues in Xcode. Uh, And so, you know, maybe if somehow there were more Swift users inside Apple, um, they would be more acutely aware of these kinds of issues. And hopefully having ABI stability, which is slated for Swift 4, uh, will be a major player in having more people at Apple actually adopt the language and therefore perhaps uh, an improvement of the tooling situation at the same time.
1: Yeah, no, I think that's definitely true. Uh, uh, Ryan Olson wrote those articles a while back on, um, uh, on is Apple using Swift or not in their own apps? And um, he found that Calculator app is, I think Calculator app is like 100% Swift. That's right. Um, and then uh, one of those, like the music recording app that's relatively new um, I can't remember what it's called. Um, voice Memos, I think, is the one you're thinking about. No, not Voice okay. Memos. There's like that new music app. Um, it's not GarageBand and it's not like the like iTunes music app, but there's right. that other one that uh, has like some Swift in it, but not much. Right. My
0: um, My recollection, and I might be wrong here, but yeah. it was that on iOS, it's the calculator app that's yeah. 100% Swift, and that the new music app with Apple Music and all that was also close to 100% Swift. Uh, and then on, on the desktop on macOS, uh, as of uh, Sierra, you have the dock. Um, <laughs> and, that's my favorite
1: app.
0: <laughs> right? And then one more thing. Or it always like works. Um but yeah, you. I, I think your point being that uh, they're dipping their toes into using Swift themselves,
1: but. right? Well, I, really, what I was going, uh, where I was going with that was, I think they need to adopt it in way more apps um, and start start integrating that more. Um, calculator app is cool, but it's not that complex, really. Um, it doesn't do networking, for example, and all these you know, the music app is pretty complex. So if that's all Swift, then I think that would be a good source of like feedback for the team, for sure. Yeah, but, but
0: there's no doubt this is going to be um, kind of a long play here to see uh, Swift tooling improve. Um, right. Same thing goes with compilation times with the um, type inference and
1: t- uh, resolution and all that. Right. I, as far as, you know, using your own developer tools, um I guess all application development at Apple is is done with Xcode, but uh, you know, like on macOS and um, iOS. But um, again, all that work is Objective C. Um, you know, so maybe they're not seeing a lot of these pain points with right. The well, Swift side of that, you you are,
0: you are so. seeing Apple build uh, Swift tooling itself in Swift, right? Where you've got um, the Swift package manager for one, but that's right. a whole well, <laughs> other discussion that uh, I'm sure we'll cover in future episodes. Sure. Um, and then there's also, so this is an interesting tidbit. Um, uh, Swift for iPad, so the, the iPad app that Apple announced at WDC 2016, mm-hmm. um, and that's now uh, you know taking the world by storm, I guess, <laughs> um, but being featured in Apple stores and for Hour of Code and things like that. Um, so to build that, uh, they had to kind of build or port a lot of the existing uh, Swift infrastructure to actually run on ARM and run on iOS. Right. Um, uh, and part of that, actually, uh, uh, so there's there's this new framework with Xcode 8 and that also ships with the Swift for iPad app that's actually um, not sourcekitd.framework, which has been available since Xcode 6 and is actually kind of an XPC daemon service Okay, um, that uh, was used for under process communication uh, with, with SourceKit, but there's actually a new framework called SourceKit.framework, which is itself partly written in Swift ah. and, uh, loaded in the Swift for iPad and, and Xcode 8 apps. Interesting. Um, so it is really interesting to see, uh, more Swift tooling itself being written in Swift. And I'm really curious to see where, where that'll pan out. And, and that part, by the way, is, is actually all closed source. So right. we can't actually peek under the covers all that much. Um, other than to reverse engineer the binaries that, that we can find. <laughs> right. But, yeah. Yeah, so I think um, you know we, we're still in the early days of Swift tooling, uh, that Apple itself probably needs to make some changes of its own uh, to really reprioritize it, uh, such as having more teams actually writing Swift at Apple, uh, maybe having uh, building more Swift tooling in Swift itself, which we're starting to see, uh, and and finally, having um, the Swift core team write more Swift itself.
1: Yeah, definitely. I, uh, a final note on that, I think uh, it'd be good to see, you know, kind of more real-world usage testing of some of these tools. One thing that I've found somewhat frustrating um, over the past year is it seems like a lot of the testing for the Swift tooling and even Swift itself in some cases is being done on very small, like Xcode projects. Um, Because when you see like these bigger companies having such problems with the tooling, it's like, well, you know, I I mean, it's hard for the core team to get a code base that large, right? To like a, a large Swift code base that is either open source or, you know, that they have somehow to like really push the limits of uh, the tooling. But uh, one good thing that I saw recently was the Swift Package Manager team is adding those uh, uh, test cases for like these real world tests and uh, pulling in uh, open source um, uh, Swift packages um, to test SPM. Um, So I think that's a positive step. It definitely is, and
0: uh, I I can clearly see that um, that limitation. The fact that Apple can't really get its hands on large uh, Swift projects means that it's difficult to incorporate those in, in their internal testing or things like that, but that's yet again another um, kind of advantage of having Swift itself, or Apple itself, adopt more Swift in its apps. So I'm hoping For that sure. we'll start seeing that, uh, uh, hopefully, WWDC 2017.
1: Yeah hopefully alright
0: well I think we should probably wrap up um, yeah. Jesse it's been a pleasure chatting with you where can people find you
1: uh, I'm on uh, twitter at jesse underscore squires
0: yep and uh, again my name JP and I'm on twitter at uh, simjp simjp uh, and again this has been Swift Unwrapped uh, we're going to aim to be coming up with shows every two weeks uh, so watch out for that
1: Yeah, thanks for listening.
0: I think that's it. Yeah, we went through the first half of the notes.